Friends, what an honor it is for me to be sharing the word with you. The preaching of the word of God is a high privilege for everyone. So we are glad that in this day we get to hear from God. We're going to continue in our First John series. And I want to propose this question to you. How much do you value clear communication? Is it important for you to know what is expected of you when you're supposed to do something? When you're called to a task, is it helpful that you have clarity on what the task is and how you're supposed to accomplish it? We all know that person, right? That person that doesn't communicate very clearly. Mumbled words, disorganized thoughts, unclear expectations. Do you know that person? Do you work with that person? Do you live with that person? Are you that person? It's you, isn't it? Your, yeah. Your spouse is saying yes. We all struggle with this, right? We all struggle with communication. A couple of years ago, after being married for a long time, Indy and I came to realize that I speak sarcasm fluently, but for Indy, sarcasm may as well be Morse code. So as we went back and came to this realization, went back and went through several conversations that we had, we realized, brother, do we struggle with this? Do we struggle with clarity? And we still struggle today. It's true that we all struggle with communication. We are part of a fallen world, and all things are affected by the fall, by the brokenness of the world, and by our sin. But that is not true of God. God does not struggle with communication. God's expectations of us are always clear. God's commandments are never confusing, puzzling, or perplexing. And this is what we've seen in this series of 1 John. 1 John is extremely clear. John the Apostle speaks to us with great clarity. Just listen to some of the things that we've already studied in this letter. 1 John 1, 5-6, this is the message we heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Do you hear the clarity? Do you hear the straightforward nature of John's statements? Listen to this one. If we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Isn't it obvious? Now listen to this. What do we do if we do have sin? If we confess our sin, our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Chapter 2 is also very clear. In verse 2, we heard a few weeks ago that Jesus worked puts us in a right standing, in a right relationship with God. His sacrifice brings about peace. 
And this is what John really means by abide in him. We were once separated from God, but by the sacrifice of Christ, we're made to be, again, united with God. So in verse 6 of chapter 2, John says, Whoever says he abide in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So as a result of Christ's work for us, there is an expectation that we would live righteous lives. That we would walk as Christ walked. Last week, Pastor Andrew walked us through chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. And there, John says that we have a commandment that is both old and new. The commandment is old in the sense that it's not one-on-one Christianity. It's been with us from the very beginning. We've been told to love one another from the beginning. But the commandment is new because there is a sense in which we have a special power from the Spirit to accomplish this commandment today. Love is no longer observed from the outside, but love can be practiced from the inside. So, this week we're going to look at verses 9, 10, and 11, and really, of chapter 2, and really what these chapters are, or these verses are doing is they're fleshing out the contents of the old, new commandments. So, God is going to present to us today with very clear terms, what his commandment to us is. My main point today, so if you're, if you're going to use one thought and you're going to hang this whole sermon in one thought, is this. Obedience to God's commandment is expected of all of us because God makes his commandments exceedingly clear to us. Let me say that one more time. Obedience to God's commandment is expected of all of us because God makes his commandment exceedingly clear to us. So let's look at the text together. 1 John 2, 9 through 11 says this. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So if you want to know where I'm going today, let me give you my outline, and then we can work through it verse by verse. On verse 9, we're going to see the deceit of lip service. On verse 10, we're going to see the demand of love. And in verse 11, we're going to see the destiny of hatred. So, the deceit of lip service. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Notice the simplicity 
of this statement. You say you're this, but you don't act like this. Therefore, you're not this. You say you are in the light, but you actually practice darkness. Therefore, you are in darkness. It doesn't get any clearer than this. John is basically saying the content of the new commandments is that we should love one another, but not just outwardly, but inwardly. Not by way of lip service, but by way of actions born from the heart. Lip service Christianity invents a dichotomy between words and deeds. Lip service Christianity says one thing and does another. True Christianity is revealed when God's message is matched with godly actions. For Christians, both what we say and what we do matter. What we say must agree with what we do. We're people of the Word, but the Word leads us to work. We're people of the Gospel, but the Gospel instructs us to do good. So recently I was discipling a, a young man, younger man, not terribly young, younger than me. Everybody younger than me is young. So recently I was discipling a young man and I was emphasizing the importance of being punctual. Showing up on time. Letting your yes be yes and your no be no. And I scheduled another meeting with this young man and I was late. <laughs> and guess what he did? He rightly pointed out, you were late but you taught me to be on time. Right? Well, he noticed a dichotomy between my word and my action. He noticed that the message wasn't undergirded, wasn't supported by the attitude. And he was right. And he was right to point that out. Because our teaching is stronger, our teaching is true when our actions agree with them. I've heard of a pastor who once preached a sermon at a church and the church was so impressed with that, with that pastor's sermon that immediately that church invited that pastor to become their pastor. And the pastor's answer was, no. You haven't seen the way I interact with my wife. You haven't seen the way I treat my children. You don't know if the message that I preach matches the life that I live. This is why it's impossible to go to church on YouTube. Right? Have you noticed that? Pastors on YouTube are often phenomenal. Well, let me tell you something. Very often, YouTube pastors only have a handful of sermons that they preach over and over and over again. Very different than what we're doing here, right? Every Sunday coming to a different text. Not choosing them randomly. But choosing them in order so that we can teach the whole counsel of God. But not only that, it's impossible to have a relationship 
through YouTube. Or it's unwise to be a part of a church where you can't know the men who teach you, that you can't observe their lives, that you can't, that you can't live, life, live your lives close to them, that you can't know how they love their wives and treat their children and how they serve as a testimony to their neighbors. This is why at Sheridan Hills, we don't just say, come listen to us. But rather we say, come know us. Yes, listen, but know. Because we're not perfect, but we are a genuine congregation of Christians. And the message we profess is the message we live. Not perfectly but faithfully. What John is proposing here is not perfectionism. He is saying that at times we may have conflicts. At times we may have issues. At times we won't love each other well. But we live out our lives in a grace-filled environment where when we sin against one another, we repent and we reconcile. One of the applications of this text is that true Christianity is displayed not through perfect relationships, but through relationships that always seek unity and reconciliation. Unities that really seek to live out the concept of being in Christ. So, if your life is not characterized by darkness, but you're dealing with a relationship that has been affected by your sin or by someone else's sin or by dissension, this word here is not telling you fear because you're apart from the Lord. This word here is saying, go find reconciliation. Go find forgiveness. Go be reconciled to your brother. Who do you have in mind when I say these things? Who do you have to meet with this week? Who do you have to call? Who do you need to seek out? The Christian life is a life of constant confession and repentance as we wait for the perfection we will experience when Christ returns. Verse 9 could actually be rendered this way. Whoever says he is in the light while continually hating his brother. Okay, So, so the, the verbal structure of the verse actually allows us to read it this way. This continual idea of hatred. Christians must not be characterized by that. Actually, John goes on to say in the letter, this is not true of you. And friends, I am telling you, brothers and sisters, this is not true of you. If you're trusting in Christ, it is not true that your life is characterized by hatred. The warning here is against ongoing hatred. A sense of ongoing animosity. It's against, of a, it's against a culture of no humility. No repentance and no reconciliation. This is not true of us. 
So let us seek humility. Let us seek repentance. And let us seek reconciliation. Notice also that this is about church life, isn't it? John is very clear. He says, brother. He, he says, do not hate your brother. Love your brother. He could have used the word neighbor here, right? Or friend. But instead, he chooses a word that is set in a covenant. This word here is for believers and those who believe with them. In the weeks ahead, we'll start hearing about those who left the church that John is writing to because they were never off the church. John calls them antichrists. These people opposed Christ and created confusion among the believers. They spoke of love, but they lived hate. They preached love, but they practiced hate. John is saying here, don't be like the ones that left you. They left you because they are still in darkness. They haven't experienced what Paul says of the Colossians. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us to the, to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption. The forgiveness of sins. The Christian life is a life that has experienced a transition. We're all born in darkness. We're all born dead in our trespasses and our sins. But in his mercy, God causes us to see the beauty of Christ, causes us to love Christ and come to him. And we're then therefore transferred from darkness to light. But what John says of those who left is that they are still in darkness. You notice that? They have never been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. So this warning is not ultimately here to cause believers to question their salvation. But it is to make it clear that those who practice hatred have never come to know the Lord. Those whose lives are characterized by hatred have never come to know the Lord. So should believers not consider this warning? By no means. We should. We should hear this. But this warning should propel us to faithfulness. This warning should propel us towards love and caring and sacrificing for one another. Those who continually hate their brother are still in darkness. Their lives have not been transformed. They have not passed from death to life, regardless of what they may say. When speaking to the religious leaders of his time, Jesus once proposed this parable. What do you think? A man who has two sons... A man has two sons, and he went to the first and said, Son, 
go and work in the vineyard today? And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said to the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of the father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, that tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. Jesus is not warning here the people who stay home Sunday morning. Right? Have you ever, have you ever left your house Sunday morning and saw, and saw all the cars parked and felt compassion towards your neighbors and prayed for them? Jesus is not warning those that show up at church early Sunday morning. Jesus is warning those who show up at church first. Stay with me here. Jesus is not warning those who never open their Bibles. Jesus is warning those who have chapters and chapters of the Scripture memorized. You know, one of the tendencies some of us may have during this First John series is to think... Oh, how I hope the person next to me can hear the words because they are deceived. These words are not for the person next to you. These words are for you and for me. We're claiming to be in the light. And yet, are we in darkness? We should ask ourselves this question. But me, I could never be deceived. I grew up in the church. I'm an advocate for biblical morals. I know the Bible. I give my tithes. I give my offering. I come to church. Yet, notice that none of these answers ultimately meet the criteria for the demands of this new commandment. The new commandment is not about actions merely. But the new commandment is about actions and motivations. John is saying it is not enough to act in love towards one another. This new commandment tells you you have to actually desire to love one another. So we're not called to just put up with people or tolerate people. We're called to lay down our lives. We're called to joyfully give of our time to help others put their hurricane charters up. We're called to gladly give of our money so others can pay their bills. We're called to go volunteer in the nursery. We're called to open our homes and show hospitality to others. We're called to, to risk losing friendships for the sake of sharing the gospel of Christ. We're called to mourn and cry with those who are suffering even when all is well with our lives. And we're called to rejoice with others in their successes, even when, we're, when our lives are in shambles. Some people say, talk is cheap. But you know what else is cheap? Actions are cheap if the mo motivations are wrong. 
Good works could be done externally while pride finds a home in the heart. Good works could be done externally while the heart desires worship. For the Christian, talking and acting must be undergirded by a desire to love God and obey Him. So here's the foundation of Christian love. To love God, to be a Christian, to love God is to obey God. To obey God is to love our, Christians, our Christian brothers and sisters. Which leads us to our second point. The demand of love. The demand of love. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. This passage, the structure of this passage is interesting. Because verses 9 and 11 are parallel. They're like a sandwich. It's like a warning sandwich. Okay? So verse 9 works as a warning. Verse 11 develops that warning a little bit more. But verse 10 is not a warning. Verse 10 instead is the content of this old new commandment that Pastor Andrew taught us about last week. And at the heart of the content of this old new commandment, at the heart of the Christian obedience, there is love. When our words are supported by loving actions, we have assurance that we belong to Christ. We abide in Him who is light. Love leads to life in the light. And light is associated with God in 1 John. So to abide in the light is to abide in God. It's to belong to Him it's to be united with him. So this text is descriptive of the Christian life. Whoever loves his brother abides in light. And in him there is no cause for stumbling. There are no imperative verbs here. But in the same way a job description outlines the expectations of an employee, this description of a Christian life comes to us with the strength of a commandment. If you want to obey the commandments of God, you must love your brother. Notice how Paul puts it in Romans 13. Owe no one anything except to love each other. And what is, what does loving each other accomplish? The one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Obedience to the law of God requires love. Notice also that John doesn't use the plural here, but the singular. Whoever loves his brother. He says, love your brother, not your brothers. That is true as well. But I think the point that John is making here is that this commandment is not theoretical. This group of people over here ought to, grow, to love that group of people over there. No. This person over here ought to love that person over there. 
This is specific. This is directed to us. Brother here refers to, yes, both brother and sister. Really, anyone who is in Christ, specifically to us, so, so that we keep this idea of singular, faithfully, specifically to us, but not exclusively, those who are in covenant together as members of Sheridan Hills Baptist Church. This is a call for Christians to love other Christians. So there are two implications that I see here. First, you cannot obey God's commandments if you're not, in, if you're not a Christian. You cannot obey God's commandments if you're not a Christian. Now, I'm not saying that non-Christians cannot perform good actions. But they cannot perform good actions that are, that are born out of desire to honor the Lord. Ultimately, any good action that's done outside of Christ is nothing but filthy rags, right? This commandment is given within the context of a Christian community. We are brothers and sisters because we are all adopted into the family of God through Jesus Christ. So, if you want to obey the commandments of God, you need to come to Christ first. Oh friend, what a tragedy it would be. If you're sitting here today and all you hear me say is, all you need is love. I am not saying that. You need to know love and the source of love. Love was displayed to us on a cross. Friends, love was displayed to us when we were not lovable. Love was displayed to us when we were enemies of Christ. The cross was an object of mockery to all of us. But God in His mercy sent His Son to die. In, in John 13, Jesus is looking at His disciples. And John says, Having loved those who were His, who were in the world, He loved them to the end. So it is right for us to say there is a sense in which Jesus went to the cross because he loved us. There's more we can say about that. But it is true that he went to the cross because he loved us. And in his love, he lays down his life in a way that we could never lay down our lives because our lives are so tainted with sin. In love, he is nailed to the cross. And in love, he cries out, it is finished. Meaning, the sins of everyone who trusts in me is paid for. Jesus dies. He is buried for three days. He resurrects. And with the power of the resurrection, he promises something. He promises the Holy Spirit. He ascends to the right hand of the Father. And then he sends the Spirit. And friends, that's the love that I'm talking about. Spirit empower love. 
The fruit of the Spirit is love. So if you're hearing me say these things and you have not come to Christ, you cannot obey this message. You cannot obey this commandment. You cannot obey God until you humble yourself before Christ and you accept his sacrifice in your place so that your sins can be forgiven and you can be given of his spirit. No one will stand before God and we say and will say, I loved but I rejected Christ. We're only able to say we love because we have first experienced the love of Christ. Friends, today may be the day for you to come to Christ and experience His love and start truly loving others in a different way that you haven't experienced before. But our second, a second implication here is that you cannot obey God's commandments unless you are intentionally living your life surrounded by other believers. John leaves no room for, I don't need the church, just my own relationship with Jesus. That is foreign to the Bible, that is foreign to the early church, and that is foreign to this church. We preach that if you come to Christ, you come to his people. And you learn to love this yet sinful, yet awaiting full redemption people that we are. This is what we are all doing together. In order for you to relate rightly to Jesus, you need to be in the church. The church is the body. Christ is the head. Imagine this. Someone tells you, hey, you know, I'm an NBA player. Oh, really? You play for the NBA? Great. Which team do you play for? Oh, no, no, no. I have a hoop in my backyard, and I throw the ball through the hoop, and that's how I, that's how I represent myself in the NBA. You would say, that's ridiculous. In order for you to be a player in the NBA, you need to play for an NBA team, right? Likewise, in order for you to belong to Christ, you need to belong to the church, to the church universal, to this church or another church that rightly preaches the word of God and rightly administers the ordinances that the Lord Jesus has given us. This verse instructs us not just to be at peace with one another or live without conflict. We're called to actually actively pursue love through community. You may think, you may think these verses are calling us to do something that is hard. But they're not. These verses are actually calling us to do something that is impossible. These verses are not saying, find someone you like and love them. These verses are saying, love everyone who is in Christ. Love everyone, including the unlovable. Love everyone. Love is only proven true when it is tested. Do you know who I'm talking about? Do you know the unlovable? Who is coming to your mind right now? That's who I'm talking about. That's the person that God is saying, invite them to dinner. 
That's the person that God is saying, give them a call. That's the person that God is saying, endure. Experience long suffering. Why? Because that's how Christ met us. And that is how Christ still deals with us today. It is hard. Is it hard to love one another? The answer is no. It's impossible. By nature, we are selfish, self-centered, and proud. But God changes our nature. God puts of His own Spirit in us so we can learn to love like He loves. In the book, A Compelling Community, Jamie Dunlop argues that the church should be filled with supernatural relationships. He means by that relationships that can only be explained through the supernatural death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Dunlop says... Relationships of similarity offer a level of understanding that is important and unique. So when, when you relate to people that are like you, that's, that's not bad. That's good. But then there should, in the church, there should also be relationships where you're only friends because you're Christians. Without any worldly explanation. You hear that? Do you have those relationships? And I think this church thrives when it comes to this. I see that here the young love the old. And the old love the young. Our cultures, our languages, our nationalities, our ethnicities don't separate us. But they actually enrich us. We are a community who seeks to love supernaturally. Because we have experienced the supernatural Love of God. You know, Pastor Ben and I were here kind of holding down the fort in the office on Friday. Half of the pastors are out this week. The other half are just scrambling. But that's okay. We're going to go away too. So the other pastors will will have to do the same. And we received a, a surprising and sweet visit. About 10 of Jorge Moyano's relatives unexpectedly came to meet with us. And it felt like we had 10 Jorge Moyanos around us. If you know Jorge, you know what I mean. Sweet and thankful people. So they're here today and we're thankful and we're praying. Friends, brothers and sisters, we're praying that the Lord will be with you today. And we know that he is. By the way, we heard on Friday... That all of them came to know Christ through Jorge. What a gift. What a privilege. Friends, that's a life well lived. That's a life well lived. But they just wanted to come and thank us for the way we love Jorge. And do you know what our response was? No, thank you. Because Jorge so loved us. But at the end of the day, we're just kind of looking at each other and thinking, no, thank God. Because it is God who enables us to love one another well. And it is the love of God 
that compelled Jorge to love us, and it is the love of God that compelled us to love Jorge. And that was made evident to everyone. Friends, this is the kind of love that our community is characterized by. And you should be encouraged by that. John reminds the believers that love does not cause others to stumble. Contrary to those who left the church, the Antichrists, those who preached love but lived hate, John says that love that is not just preached but also lived out strengthens others. So, we saw the Moyano family go away and we're just looking at each other and thinking, man, what an encouragement. What an encouragement because of the love of Christ. Friends, this is a church, a place where true love exists, a place where our actions towards one another do not cause one another to stumble, but instead they cause us to walk faithfully with our Lord. So how do, how do we put this in practice? And the fact that we are a church and we're redeemed and we're loved by Christ and, and we love in light of Christ's love uh, means that some of my applications are simply going to describe what we already do. But some of you need to hear this because you're not sure how you can love one another. So here are four ways. There are more. There's so many more. But here are four ways that we can corporate, how we can corporately grow in our love for one another. When the church is gathered, be here. When the church is gathered, be here. The opportunities to love are countless when we're together. You know, we, we, we often say, come early and leave late, right? Why? Because relationships, conversations happen when we do that. Opportunities to serve arise. Connections are made. We're able to pray with one another. Be gathered with the church when the church is gathered. Two, find a growth group or a Sunday seminar, seminar that you can attend. So much community happens there. Three, if you're a member of this church, you're part of a community group. So you can ask your community group leader how you can pray or serve others in your community group. Four, read through the covenant of our church today. And pray that the Lord will help us engage to walk together in Christian love, as our covenant says. So let's turn now to my third point. The destiny of hatred. Remember, we had in verse 9 a warning. And now we have this warning expanded in verse 11. But whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in the darkness. And does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So since verse 9 and verse 11 are so similar, I'm not going to take a long time unpacking verse 11. So I'm going to move quickly through this. So notice what is unique about this verse. There is a sense of movement. There is a progression contained in this verse. Whoever hates his brother, okay, that's the person. What does the person do? Is static location. 
in darkness. Moreover, that person walks movements in darkness. Moreover, that person does not know where he is going. Aimless movements. That person is actually blinded. Complete darkness. It's like John is warning us not just against actions of hate, but a path. A path characterized by hatred. A path characterized by animosity. A path characterized by bitterness. A wide path that leads to destruction. Do you sometimes try to correct the theology of bumper stickers? Right? I do that. So have you ever seen that bumper sticker that says, Not all who wander are lost? That's not true. All who wander are lost. Because we're only found when we find the way. Right? And that is Christ. A person on this path is lost and blind until they find Christ. So, you know, when I was, when I was a kid, I used, to, I used to engage in pillow fights with my cousins all the time. But my, my parents had a property, and, and there was a, an abandoned house in the back of the property that was very dark. So the, the, the ultimate pillow fight fun was to play, to, to, to do pillow fights in the abandoned house at night with all lights off, right? So a complete darkness pillow fight. Have you guys ever done this? It's a lot of fun, right? I mean, it was fun like 30 years ago. It's a lot, <laughs> right now it would be painful. It's a lot of fun, right? Um, so, um, but do you know, do you know what the points of playing pillow fight in, completely dar- in complete darkness is? The point is so that you never know one, when you're going to get hit, and who hit you, right? So you can just keep doing it. Nobody takes it personally because nobody knows who is hitting. Nobody knows when it's going to happen. So you just keep doing it, right? The point of this activity is that it should be chaotic, right? And, and, and the fun of it is the chaos. Well, what this verse is describing is this. But it's not a game. This person is not in a game. This person is not playing pillow fight with their cousins. This is what this text is describing. Except that this is by no means fun. The realm of darkness is the realm of Satan. And all those who oppose God. And naturally we pursue this realm. Many of you are having the enemy of God lambast your lives because you're walking in darkness. You're tired spiritually. You're hopeless. You're lost and blind. You might have come into this building today just saying, is there a word of hope for me? Because it feels like Satan is putting me through the grind. The word is that 
Yes, there is hope. Friends, darkness deceives and deception leads to death. And this is why we're making a big deal out of this. We don't want you to be lost. We don't want you to find yourself apart from Christ. Those who find the love of Christ and share the love of Christ will spend eternity with Christ in heaven. Those who reject the love of Christ will spend eternity apart from Him in condemnation in hell. Oh friend, will you come to Christ today? Step out of darkness. Will you find refuge in Him? Will you take shelter in the church of Christ? The call before us is clear. As Paul says in Romans 1, Therefore, you have no excuse. The commandment before you is clear. Come to Christ and live. Come to Christ and find light and life. The commandment before you today is, Come to Christ and learn to love and be loved. If you wonder... Can you come to Christ? At the end of the service, we're going to have a family over here in this prayer pocket and a family over here in this prayer pocket. I want to encourage you to go talk to them. Reach out to any of us. Who brought you to church? That person can likely help you. Come talk to me. We would love to help you know Jesus Christ and know him.